You good? All right. Well, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And this particular text comes immediately after several important passages. Matthew, in his gospel, focuses on demonstrating the truth of Christ as the Messiah, that he is the promised one of the Old Testament who comes in fulfillment of those prophecies. And in Matthew 24, Jesus himself prophesies, as you'll see in verses 1 through 2, he looks at the temple that was standing and he says that there would be not one stone left upon another. He prophesies of the temple's destruction which occurred in A.D. 70. But he has also spoken in Matthew chapter 25 of the kingdom of heaven. He has spoken of his own kingdom. And so now immediately after that, after Matthew showing that Christ is the Messiah, that he is the promised son of David come to pay for the sins of his people, after Christ prophesying about the judgment and then the, the establishment of his kingdom, now we're brought to this point in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where we wonder what does it actually look like to live faithfully as a servant of the kingdom of God? How do we live in this world which is so hostile against Christianity faithfully as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom? And that's the subject of our text here tonight. And so let's read Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 together. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So first of all, as, as we approach this parable, we are introduced to a man who is going on a journey. The man calls these servants to himself, and he gives them responsibility over certain areas. 
You'll notice that he has the power and the authority to give them the talents as he desires. And he has the authority to judge them on the basis of how they use what they have been given. All of that clearly shows that this man is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ represented in this parable. And we notice he gives them responsibility, but he also gives them different levels of responsibility. One is given five talents, another two talents, another one talent, all being determined by their particular ability. Now, a talent, if you're wondering, it was used in reference to a specific measure of weight up to around 129 pounds. So a talent of gold would be a maximum of 129 pounds of gold. Putting that in terms of a wage, um, in, in our modern day period, someone with five talents of gold would be considered a multi-millionaire um, in that era. So we're obviously talking about a substantial amount of wealth. And all of this brings us to a crucial point to consider. You see, the man represents Christ, and the servant represents us as human beings. Two of these servants specifically, they have been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light as followers of Christ. But one of these servants represents a lost man, a lost man who will inherit the judgment of God. But we are Christ's followers. We are his disciples, and we seek that which we have been given for his glory. And that's the foundational point to consider. Everything we do is simply using that which we have been given for the purpose of another. The servants in this parable, you'll notice, they are given these talents specifically. They are given these things by the master so that they might go out and be productive. And so it is with our lives. Do you have property that you own? It has been given to you by the God who has created everything and who owns it all. But you say, I purchased it with my own money. I earned that money. Well, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the mind that functions properly to be able to do your job? Who gave you the health to be able to go day in and day out and perform the duties that your task requires? You see, ultimately, everything that we have can be traced back to the plan of God and His gracious gift to us because of His kindness and His mercy. And so just as these servants have been given these talents for the sake of the Master, so we have been given everything for the sake of our Master. This changes our attitude drastically, doesn't it? Because instead of going around like spoiled, entitled little brats, we all of a sudden realize that we have been given much. And everything we have is a grace gift from God. And here's another point. The kingdom of God is not ran according to a socialist economic standard. Let me repeat that. The kingdom of God is not a socialist society. He doesn't give each of these servants an equal amount of talent. He gives one five. He gives another two. He gives another one. God gives as he sees fit, and we should thank him for that fact. Because just because someone has two talents and another has five talents doesn't mean that the servant with two talents is any less valuable than the other. What it means is that God has given according to his perfect wisdom for his glory. We must give glory to him for that fact. It is a good thing that not everyone in this world is just like me. A couple of y'all amens pretty quick there, you know. (laughs) 
No, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm, I'm actually serious. It is a good thing that not everyone is like me, right? I mean, I'm a beekeeper. I'm a gardener. I'm a fisherman. I love shooting guns. Obviously, I love preaching and teaching the word and diving into scripture and reading old dead theologians. But nobody wants me doing open heart surgery on them. I guarantee you that. I don't have that ability. I don't have that talent. And so if everyone was like me, we would have a lot more honeybees, but everybody would be clueless about the intricacies of open heart surgery. God gives us those different capacities for a reason. That's why we need the body of Christ so that we come together encouraging one another according to the scripture to use the talents that we have been given for the same goal, which is the glory of God. One person knows how to cook. Another knows how to hunt food. Another knows how to eat it with great skill. Uh, some are artistically gifted. Um, some are great at operating computers. <laughs> some are <coughs> skilled builders and lawyers and doctors and farmers and ranchers. Uh, whatever else. Whatever you have been given. Use it with diligence for Christ's sake. If you're a builder, then go out and build high quality homes that people will enjoy for decades and live in and be fruitful in. And that's one of the primary points of this passage of Scripture. However, another point that we need to see is the reality that according to verse 15, the man goes away after giving the talents to the servant. It's what Christ has done, isn't it? He's gone to the Father's right hand. He's not walking on this earth anymore. But according to Matthew 28, 20, he is with us always. His spirit resides within us. He has given us his sufficient word to guide us. And his gospel is still powerful to salvation. However, he has left us here as ambassadors of his kingdom. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this explicitly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, behalf, on Christ's behalf... Be reconciled to God. Our calling is to proclaim this message and to use everything that our King has given us for the advance of His kingdom. But the question is, what kind of people are we to be now that our King has gone on this journey? What's our specific job? What's our specific role? Before we answer that by looking at verses 16 through 17, are there any questions or thoughts or comments here this evening so far? Any socialists who take issue with Jesus divvying out the talents in this way or anything of that sort? <laughs> All right, well, we'll dive into verses 16 through 17. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Ultimately, these servants, we could in essence say they go out and they labor in order to be productive. They take what God has given and they use it with great skill. And now this should bring a couple of points to our mind. First of all, we should go back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where we read, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves the essence of the command here is for Adam and Eve to go out stewarding God's creation, taking dominion over it and using it well. 
They are to populate the earth with their offspring. They're to subdue all of the earth and to make everything productive. That's the process of taking dominion. And so whenever we read about these stewards taking what God has given and using it well, making it productive, that echoes of the very command to humanity in Genesis chapter 1. But is that true of us in our own lives? Do we seek to have this kind of energy, this kind of effort where we go throughout life trying to invest in these ways? Where we are taking what God has given and we are using it for His glory and the benefit of others. What does it look like to have that mindset practically in life? Well, let's look at a couple of biblical examples. First, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, can you control the end result of whether or not your child is saved? No. We're not Catholics. We don't believe you can dunk the baby and then it's regenerate. You can't do anything like that. You cannot give your child or your grandchildren salvation as a parent or a grandparent. But can you as a parent control the way that that child is raised? Absolutely. And we must understand that they are a blessing from God to be stewarded. To be stewarded in the sense that we use that gift well. And whether God gives you ten children or five children or two children or one child, whatever he decides to gift you with, That's not the main thing. The main thing is that you are faithful to teach them about Christ. That you are faithful to bring them before the Word of God. To model before them what it looks like to be a faithful believer. It is a moment-by-moment investment that occurs over a lifetime. And that is true kingdom work for the glory of God. But another practical illustration. God has given you specific abilities and talents you should use them with diligence. Paul talks about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Again, The concept of God blessing the church with individuals who have all of these different gifts. And then they come together and they use it for the same goal, which is his glory. So that's a second illustration of having a kingdom mindset. Understanding how God has gifted you and then going out and applying that. But now we come to the third servant. The third servant in verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. This is the man who is going to prove to be an unbeliever here in this parable. You see, he had the genius and the splendid idea that he was going to take what had been given to him and go dig a hole in the ground and bury the talent there. That's it. He, He didn't take it to the bank. He didn't try to invest it. He didn't try to work with it. He just hid it in the ground. If this man was raising a child, his strategy of parenting would be to open the basement door, throw the kid in, lock the door, and then leave him there and hope that everything turns out all right in the end. I don't have children. 
But I know enough about kids and enough about what the Bible says about parenting to know that's not going to work out very well in the end. We might mock this man. We might think that this man is a fool. But we had better look in the mirrors first. How often do we understand what God has given to us, but then shrink back from using it in obedience to Him? Now, I'm not talking about legitimate times of rest, legitimate times of refreshment where we are seeking to be rejuvenated for service to God. I'm talking about how often do we have breath in our lungs to serve God, but shrink back and pull away from doing it. We know that we need to invest in that young person, that we need to come and to invest in them by speaking biblical counsel to them and and directly being involved in their life. But we never do it. We instead back away. We know that we need to take that lost co-worker to lunch. We need to take them to lunch, and we need to share the gospel with them. We need to have a conversation with them about Christ and bring them before His Word. But we fail, and we don't do it. We know that we need to take this bold stand for the truth, but we shrink back out of cowardice and out of fear and instead go and hide. We need to do this. We need to do that. But we let it fall by the wayside. And I'm just as guilty of it as you are because we all need grace. Well, we all need time. But when we fail to use that gift, when we fail to use that talent that God has given to us, we're falling prey to this mistake of burying it. But we need to see the difference in the mindset between the first two servants and the man with this one talent. The first two servants, they're they're believers. They're seeking to take what God has given to them to steward it well for his sake. The unbeliever simply does what is right in his own eyes. That's the ultimate difference here. So how is the master going to judge these individuals? What, What is he going to say? You see the judgment of the first two servants in verses 19 through 23. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There are a few things we need to notice about these verses. First of all, all of the servants stand before Christ. That's what we're going to see in this parable. Whether you're given five or two or one, whether you're the believer or you're the unbeliever, everyone stands before Christ to judge. And of course, we, we as believers, we're going to come before the judgment seat with the confidence and the certainty of our redemption, knowing that Christ has paid for us with his own life. But yet, still knowing that fact, we are going to give an account of our lives before him. And that should motivate us. That, that should spur us forward to want to use every moment for his glory. And to seek to live with wisdom each and every second, that he gives us to be on this earth. 
And secondly, I, I want you to notice that in both of these two scenarios, the servant with the five talent and the servant with the two talents, the exact same wording is used. When he speaks to both of them, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's the point. God doesn't judge you on the basis of whether you were given five talents or two talents. He judges you on the basis of how well you have stewarded what you have been given. The man who stewards 100 talents well is more faithful than a person who has given 250 but does absolutely nothing with them. Therefore, our goal must be steadfast productivity for the sake of the Lord in whatever situation He brings us into according to His plan. Do you feel like God has not given you a position of fame and power and wealth and worldwide influence? It doesn't matter. In the end, that is completely irrelevant. Some people He puts in those positions. Some people he puts in those posts. We, we could think of pastors who we know who are in those kind of positions and who are faithful. But I can also think of a lot of pastors I know who are not in those positions and they are equally just as faithful and used for the glory of Christ. It, it is not our place to dispute with God. It, it's not our place to dispute with God and say, if you would have given me three talents instead of two, then I would have been faithful. No, you wouldn't have. Jesus says in Luke 16.10, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in the very little is also dishonest in much. If you're not faithful with the two talents, you wouldn't be faithful with 200. And so what we must do instead is to realize the great privilege that we have been given to serve in the kingdom of God. That He has taken us as rebellious sinners and He has redeemed us by His grace. But not only has He redeemed us by His grace, He has given us the opportunity to serve Him and to bring Him glory as we go through this life and look forward to the next. But not only has He given us that, He has given us the promise of a reward, of an everlasting inheritance with Christ, where we shall know nothing but joy as we are with Him forever and ever. And all of this should cause our hearts to overflow with thanksgiving with thanksgiving at the reality that we have been given this great and awesome privilege. But I want you to notice a third point here. It's not just that these servants are given these things. It's that Christ tells these servants that they have been faithful over a little, but now they will be set over much. That, that's a reference to eternity. That's a reference to the fact that we're given this short stint. And then as we go into eternity, we will be set over much more as we are heirs with Christ. And so that is what we are doing now. We are seeking to be faithful now, and we look forward to being faithful in eternity. No matter how small the task seems, we must focus on consistent obedience to the Lord. Now in verses 24 through 25, we read of the slothful servant. The text says, He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Why did this man hide the talent? Ultimately, it was fear. 
He was afraid. And so often, that is why we hide. That is why we do not walk in faith. That is why we are not steadfast in our obedience with what God has given to us. We realize that if we live according to how Christ commands us to, if we are faithful as His stewards, then it might not go well with us in this world. We might receive opposition. We might be persecuted. We might be even martyred eventually. And so we tuck it away. We, we tuck that talent away. We bury it and we decide that it's never going to see the light of day. But at its core, it is a misunderstanding of who the master is that drives our fear. No, notice that about the servant here. That he calls the master a hard man. He tries to paint the master as a cruel tyrant who claims what he has no right to. Who has expectations that no one can handle. And who is nothing but ruthless. This man, this servant, misunderstands who God is. He misunderstands who Christ is. He doesn't understand the grace of God. He doesn't realize that the same master who gave you the talent is the one who will equip you to use that talent for his glory. And all of this means that this servant is not a true believer because they have no right understanding of who God is. If they did, they wouldn't have buried the talent. They would have realized that the God who created the world, the God who gives them life, the God who gave them the talent is the same God who equips them for it, but not only equips them to use it, but who will judge them in the end. Therefore, their response would be to labor hard for the sake of the master whose judgment they seek. And if they knew this master, they would know he controls all. And that's what would set them free from fear. That's what would cause them to steward the talent well regardless of what may come their way. Through your redemption, you're not only set free from sin. Through your redemption, you're not only set free knowing your security for eternity. You're also given the freedom to serve. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5.13. For you are called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one in this text, it brings us to the ultimate difference between the two types of servants presented here in this passage. The servants who were given five talents and two talents, they were both focused on laboring for their master. The sheep know their master well. They wanted to take that which they had been given so they could give everything back to the master. However, the second servant, he was focused on himself. The second servant was fearful. The second servant was selfish. He did not understand the character of the master, the servant with the one talent. And so he hid it in fear of what the master might do to him. What was driving him? It was a desire to save his own skin, to look out for what was best for him in the end. Yes, sir. Third servant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely a third servant. <laughs> But the other two servants, they were focused on doing what was honorable in the sight of their Lord. That's the difference. One group focuses on the glory of Christ. One group focuses on self. But the man who focuses on serving himself, he thinks he has found true freedom. He believes that he is doing what will set him free in the end. However, it is he who is enslaved to himself, to his sin, to the flesh, to the ways of the world. But it is the servant of Christ who finds freedom, 
in the grace of his master and living for his glory. You can see that in the reality of the different results that these two groups of servants face. The first two servants, they're given the joy of eternity with their master. But what happens to this man who hid the talent? Are there any questions here before we look at verses 26 through 30 on that point? All right, well, let's read verses 26 through 30. (coughs) But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The, the end of this servant is condemnation. It is eternity and hell. Uh, but foundationally, I, I want you to notice that the master opens this particular part of the parable by repeating the charge that the servant had made against him in order to show its foolishness. He, he's essentially saying, If I really am this kind of a man who reaps where I didn't sow, who gathers where I didn't plant anything, then you ought to have taken the most safe approach. You ought to have gone and invested my money, so then I would have at least got something beyond what I gave you. Uh, But the servant had charged the master of being a man who was over-the-top abusive. Yet his actions, as the master demonstrates, shows that he didn't believe this to be true He didn't act that way. If he really believed this about the master, he would have acted differently. The servant was simply lazy, focused on doing what he wanted and living in fear because he is a sinner. And so what is the result? The result is that this man, what he had, was given to the faithful servant who worked up to a total of ten talents. And while this man suffers the judgment of God for eternity, The lost world, they spur against the grace of God. They bury the riches of His kind mercy instead of delighting in the God before whom they owe worship. As such, they have rebelled against the God over creation and nothing but wrath awaits them. Yet for God's people, we cannot even imagine the riches and the blessings that are awaiting us. We've already been given a taste of these things. We know God, we know the joy of reading His Word. We know the joy of the Gospel, the joy of fellowship with one another. We have been given all of these blessings that are so rich, that are so powerful. Yet how much more will they be so when we know the joy of seeing the Lord face to face? It is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. But so also the punishment of this worthless servant is beyond anything he could ever fathom in this life. So in closing here, what do we learn from this parable? First of all, we we must focus on having a kingdom mindset. The kingdom of God was present long before we came along and will be here long after. Until the day when it is consummated in all of its fullness when Christ Jesus returns. Therefore, we must labor hard knowing He has shown us grace. Knowing that everything that He has given to us is a gift that changes our perspective. Our entire life must be focused on God. It must be God-centered in our family, in the church, in our work, 
in our vacations, in our innermost thoughts, in our most public moments, and in everything. It must be focused on God every single day. Secondly, we must be servants who focus on living with joyful and humble contentment. Whatever station He has placed you in, however many talents He has given to you, use them for the sake of His name. The good news is you don't have to be the most naturally talented, famous, wealthy, powerful. You don't even have to have a thousand followers on Facebook in order to glorify God. All that you have to do is to seek to be faithful because of the grace shown to you to apply His Word and what He has called you to do. William Carey, a name that some of you are probably familiar with, was a Baptist who lived several centuries ago. He was started, uh, credited with starting the modern missions movement. He was highly influential and impactful. But he once said this, he said, If he give me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. This should be our attitude. All that we are is plotters, no matter where God places you in your life. We're not after fame. We're not after a spotlight. We're simply seeking to day by day bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter the stage of life you're in. Even if you have health issues where you're not able to go out and do as much maybe as you once were, you can still pray for people. You can still call people on the phone and encourage them. You can still have conversations with individuals in your life that are God-centered and God-glorifying. I remember hearing the story of a man one time who had such a massive heart attack that his body died and they had to resuscitate him. And during his recovery, the story was told that as the chaplains would come in to see him, he would share the gospel with them, and he would pray with them, and the same with others who would come and visit him. And that is an example of a man who was physically weak and physically unable to do what he once was, but he was still trying to be faithful in whatever he could where God had him. And finally here, We should labor well, looking forward to the day we get to enter into the joy of our Master. The reality that we are kept in Christ's firm grip. The reality that He controls the future and that we are secure for eternity with Him. It sets us free from fear and gives us confidence to serve Him and to glorify Him. That we cannot wait to be with Him for forever. And so we look forward to serving Him now. We look forward to using what He has given us for His Are there any questions or thoughts or comments before I turn it over to Brother Ron here for the prayer time tonight? All right, Brother Ron, I'll turn it over to you, sir.